0: Hello and welcome to Sober Stories from Everyday People. Today, I've got the pleasure of speaking to Fran, who's 194 days sober, which is just around that six month mark. And she's based in Battersea in London thank you so much Fran for making the time for me today Um, I'm so glad to get you on the show finally (laughs) we have been trying haven't we (laughs) yeah oh
1: my god thank you for um yeah making the time to talk to me Uh, as I mentioned you literally I I found out about everyday stories on Spotify from day one of, of my journey and it helped me so much. It had a tremendous influence on a kind of helping me stay sober and just having access to the sober world, which I knew absolutely nothing about. So I'm really excited to be here um, yeah, and share my story with you. So thank you.
0: Oh, I love that. It always just makes me feel so much pride when I hear that people, you know, find the podcast and get so much from it and we were talking before we started recording that you know I remember in the beginning of my sober journey I didn't really know what a podcast was (laughs) and then I found this app on my phone and I just thought (laughs) right let's you know let's just see what this is all about and immediately there was just so much free you know instant um content available and it really helped me and supported me being able to listen to podcasts in my early days and one of the things that i always loved and gravitated to was people's stories i loved hearing that other people were feeling like i felt or going through what i was going through um and so to be able to be kind of a driving force now creating this podcast and sharing other people's stories to help other people you know people like you more recently and you know people that might be just this might be the first episode they're listening to I just you know blows my mind a bit really Um, (laughs) and yeah and a a lot of it is 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 down to having great people like you on the show so uh, as always I'm hugely grateful uh, for all the guests that come on and share their stories so why don't we get to know a little bit about Fran tell us a bit about yourself
1: Okay, so I'm Fran, I'm 32, I live in Battersea in London, um, my dad is Irish and my mum is Guyanese, so that's a place called Guyana at the top of South America. Um, I worked as a personal assistant pretty much most of my adult life and I Reese, now I do it freelance. So, um, I do a few little jobs freelance and, uh, one of them is, uh, putting on workshops for underprivileged young people. They're quite creative and very much focused on life skills. Um I'm training to be a life coach currently. And yeah, I guess in my hobbies, I, I write poetry and I perform them at open mic nights across London. So it's just amazing having like that accessibility, not just to the sober community, but also the creative community as well. Um, yeah, it's definitely what I'm so passionate about writing and yeah, I'm currently writing my first book. Um, it's just in fruition at the moment. And yeah, that's it really. I'm, I go to the gym and I cycle pretty much everywhere in London. And yeah, I think that's pretty much me. Um, I don't have any kids. Uh, I have a partner and yeah, we're based in London.
0: Wow. I love all of that. That's quite, it's quite different. You know, there's a lot of, <laughs> um, there's a, there's a lot of really interesting things happening there and it sounds like a really, exciting time of your life and and maybe being sober has helped to encourage a lot of that creativity and that motivation to get into all these different things and to maybe change your career and you know that that's coming up more and more frequently with with people that you know when they stop drinking just life goes in a slightly different direction, better direction, but a different one. And all these new avenues open up. And I think that's just, I think that's lovely. Um, So yeah, sounds like a super exciting time. And I'm really looking forward to understanding more about your story. And you know, what kind of led you to this place where you are now. So with that in mind, why don't we go back to the beginning and describe your life with alcohol? What did that look like?
1: Wow. Um, Okay. So God, I thought about this from listening to a lot of the other podcasts and alcohol was in my childhood from a very young age. Uh, My dad was and still is a huge drinker. And, you know, looking back in hindsight, you know, it probably wasn't very evident his relationship with alcohol when I was very young. But you do have those slight memories of going to the shop late and him kind of doing having extravagant parts of his behavior which now I can put down to alcohol Um, but when I was six uh, he left my mum and you know I-, I can understand what a huge integral part alcohol played in that decision of his Um, and it was me my sister and my mum we ended up moving to South America where she's from, um, when I was six. And it, it was obviously such a huge culture shock for me. It was such an uproot in my life. But I'd say the, the main thing that affected me was this huge transition of, you know, my family's broken up now. And I experienced a huge level of abandonment and pain from that experience. And it's only looking back at my life and, and my particular relationship with alcohol is I see how much I dealt with that pain,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: through trying to numb it a lot. And, um, yeah. And when I came back from, we, I ended up moving back to London when I was 12, just before year seven. Um, I had longed for a relationship with him, and I there was a part of me that was missing, and I'd very much romanticized this dad that was a huge part of my life. And when I came back, and and I really I saw the effects of alcohol and how it had changed him. I was very, very much exposed to it, and and there was no running away from kind of his abusive behavior and him prioritizing alcohol in his life. And it it was very difficult. It wasn't the life I'd imagined that I was coming back into as a child. Um, He didn't try to hide it. And um, I'd say that that lived with me quite a lot through my own relationship with drinking, which ended up starting at, at 13 going on 14 uh, I, you know, just like many of the people on your podcast, uh, living in London and, and drinking in the parks and it being so acceptable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, my first drink was actually at home. Um, my dad, I, I. I what I find very interesting about how alcohol progressed in my life was I never saw it as a deterrent, despite seeing him change and transform into this person that was kind of a shell of himself and it created a lot of fear for me and uh, I was very uncomfortable knowing that his safety was at risk when he drank Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: once I got to about 14 I I started saying oh well you know what is this thing I've really developed an interest in it that wasn't Mm -hmm. this is dangerous don't have it and yeah, I started. Uh, he he bought me some Bacardi Breezers and said, "You know, well, it's better that you drink at home and, and try a few rather than get wasted out on the streets." And and it's interesting because you know what he deemed acceptable was very much based on his own relationship with with drinking, and uh, it started with just drinking in parks and you know having those few drinks at home, and then it escalated into house parties. And, you know, I, I ended up living on my own at, at 16. And I, I found a freedom that I had to do whatever I wanted. And, you know, at that age, it was, i, I you could get into clubs, you could d- drink and, you know, different parties that people were having. And as life kind of went on, I, I can explain alcohol as when I first found it life became colourful. It was this device that I could have that changed me into this confident person. And, and, you know, when I look at alcohol, I I can really see that it did two things for me. And I'm, I'm sure we'll discuss that on this call. But it was a tool to that enhanced social me being sociable and having fun and everything. Like I said, being colorful, and then it was also a part for me to deal with my emotions and and very much process the things that had happened to me and be able to deal with them.
2: Mm. And
1: throughout my relationship with drinking, it kind of always went between those two um, those two patterns of behavior. Really,
0: yeah. Yeah, I I I relate a lot to that actually. Um and I think I was the same, weirdly, my mum my was a big drinker. I've talked about that a lot on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but she always encouraged drinking at home from quite a young age, which, you know, again, like you said, it reflects her relationship with alcohol. Now I I would, you know, I wouldn't do that with my own children. Um, I wouldn't kind of, obviously I won't encourage them to drink anyway, although I'm, I'm not going to stop them from drinking. But just, you know, I think on in a weird way, it was almost like it created some kind of connection with her because I had quite a damaged relationship with my mom. Probably not, you know, as bad as your situation where you'd been away for a long time and come back. Obviously, you know, I was living with my mom, but. We did have a difficult relationship and and a lot of that really was mainly down to her drinking, I think, because she was kind of she was very up and down, very angry, probably quite depressed herself. Although I didn't didn't know that and it wasn't wasn't diagnosed or anything. It wasn't really something that people talked about back then in the kind of 80s and, and early 90s. But, you know, her giving me cigarettes and giving me alcohol was a way for us, weirdly, to bond. And I'd never really thought about it like that until you said, you know, um, you told me your story about your with your dad. Because I was thinking, well, that you can see how that kind of connection is formed. You just want the approval of your parent because you're a child. And that's what all children want. Just want the approval. Just want to feel important, want to feel loved. Um. And, you know, so I can see how that, you know, that creates that sort of weird, quite damaging dynamic, really. And like you, I have definitely suffered from that feeling of abandonment in my life as well. And it has played out in all my relationships and a lot of my behaviours, especially my drinking behaviours. Um, yeah and i've I, you know now i feel like i've 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 healed a lot of that and and that and that's great but it but it definitely has been a running thread in my life and that comes from that early experience of you know not you know that just complicated relationships with parents i think not yeah. you know not for me it's not like i want to point a finger and blame I, I i genuinely think most people come into life and they want to do their best they just don't know to be honest the impact perhaps of, of their behavior and it's not necessarily you know it's not their fault it wasn't my fault wasn't my mum's fault that she was a big drinker she didn't take responsibility for it but I, I don't blame her for that anymore yeah. I've kind of moved past that do you know what I mean it's quite, quite difficult to explain isn't it but <laughs> but yeah I think when you mentioned about the two types of drinking as well enhancing fun and social Situations and you know, really just feeling that high, that euphoria, yeah, but then equally using it to get through tough times or to manage difficult, you know, difficult situations and difficult feelings. I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that because I think that if people are really honest with themselves, I think that reflects a lot of people's drinking styles, certainly. I'm not talking here about take it or leave it drinkers, obviously. I'm I'm, I'm talking about, you know, people that drink like I did or like you or, you know, that are in that more kind of grey area drinking, um, under that grey area drinking umbrella, if you like. Yeah. That would be really common.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And God, what you've just said has just really hit me because you mentioned that destructive dynamic of the Mm. connection. And it's it's one of those hard things to hear. It's almost uh, borderline uncomfortable because we know that it's not normal. Mm. But I think it starting... Uh, it, it, what it did is it established a, a very, like you said, destructive dynamic and it developed a pattern of how all my relationships would form mm. and that common ground of, well, our, we don't realize we're establishing learned behavior at this stage. Mm. But what would follow when I look back now, it's tremendously that of mm. rely, having very dysfunctional relationships and alcohol is at the core of it and not being able to differentiate between a authentic connection or one that's healthy for you and one that's not Mm. and when it's a parent and you're obviously going through those issues of validation and acceptance and pain you know you're so desperate to have that connection you'll do it at any means necessary and and for a person you know for my father who you know was under the influence and was very affected by it he couldn't see it either Mm. so you've got two desperate people in a parent-child relationship Mm. learning destructive patterns of behavior from each other really and You know, it it followed me definitely um, as my own drinking escalated in in my adult life.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I felt certainly in my teenage years through my 20s, even into my 30s, I did one of, if not both, you know, one of two things, if not both. I was in a serial relationship I could never have any time on my own. And that was something that I've really judged myself for as well, because obviously, you know, people say, Oh, you need to, you know, be on your own and be comfortable in your own skin. And um, and I just couldn't do that. And so therefore, that made me feel worse. That what well, you know, why was I always wanting the comfort of somebody else? Um, which obviously I understand now. But the other thing that really sticks out to me is I was quite good at choosing emotionally unavailable partners. Mm. And I think, again, that's, that's a dynamic that I needed to try and fix, you know, in myself from those earlier days. My mum was emotionally unavailable because of her drinking and because of her own challenges in life. And yeah, I, th- I think those two things sort of, kind of, I carried those through my twenties and 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 thirties. And I drank because of those things because I felt so much shame that I kept choosing the wrong partner, or that you know I couldn't I couldn't you know be on my own in inverted commas. Therefore, I'm slightly broken. That's yeah. got to be my fault. I'm, you know, I'm a crap person and all that stuff. And so then you just drink a little bit more to just push all that down and Mm -hmm. to cope with that. So it's really, really clear to me why I was in that cycle. And then dotted throughout all of this time was the enhanced fun and socializing aspect, which was when I think probably I felt the most connection with yes. people or with friends, you know, they thought I was funny, you know, I was the funny clown, like that would be drinking and on the tables and and I just hammed that up because I guess, you know, to be brutally honest, I liked that feeling of being loved, you know, wow. even if it was for those types of things, like, you know, drinking too much. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's wow. quite it's quite weird isn't it no honestly everything you
1: said has just it's it just brings me back to you know you mentioned cl- being everything became clear to you mm-hmm. like that clarity of the things that have happened to you and the behavior patterns that you develop and the relationships and I, I was very unable to see any of that I was the self-awareness was not there because mm-hmm. of the drinking and and yeah definitely when I look back now at six months sober or even earlier on in my sobriety journey I can see very clearly um just how I behaved and 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 not have so much of that shame and mm. so much of that guilt because a lot of the patterns that we develop forming relationships and wow that connection that you mentioned as well mm. you really start to dissect them and see Wow, was I that person? And and you can look through it through a lens that you couldn't before. And, and that that's been an amazing part of this journey is really being able to look at my relationship with alcohol and my relationship with myself. Yeah and who I became through learned behavior and, and through just everyday thinking justification that this was normal. And, yeah. you know, looking back now, it's anything but that. Um, yeah. But so similar, what you said, and a lot of us relate to the same stories, even though we are different, and we've had different experiences. It's that, that core similarity that's, Creates a connection now that I could never have had when I was drinking. Yeah. Um, although I believed it to be the greatest connections of all.
0: Yes. Same. Yeah. Same. Um. And it's only when you step out of it that you really see how how wrong you were, yeah. and, then, and how and how much better life can be. Exactly. You know, for your, for yourself. So talk about. Um, How did you get to the point of actually stopping? I mean, what did that day look like for you? Okay, wow. So
1: I the drinking for me, it became such an integral part of my socialisation and my coping mechanisms with life. And I didn't realise that it had become so much at the forefront. So when I my my life just became sheer chaos and if I'm completely honest I was able to keep a job and I was able to have my house my, my flat and um go to the gym and do all of these things in life that tell us we're fine and that we don't have a problem because we're not at the worst spectrum of alcoholism mm-hmm. this is normal and and what I started to do was justify my drinking based on my external circumstances. So looking at friends that were drinking and and looking, you know, you start to put yourself in scenarios and predicaments where inevitably you're around people that mirror your own habits and drinking patterns. And, you know, I, I was lying to myself so much that it, went on for years of you know the parties at clubs at 18 and then the cocktails after work at the office Mm -hmm. and then you know wine at home and Mm -hmm. you know it was just chasing this feeling that you referred to earlier just just a moment ago of that euphoria Mm -hmm. and that I can deal with these emotions and and I was take, you know the social element was it started to get out of hand with arguments and, and you know I'm I'm quite an extroverted person and I'm quite emotional and and deep I've always been that way and I don't know if it's the creative side of me but but alcohol there it, it was almost a piece of pain there it was pain laced into that those parts of me from my childhood and
2: mm.
1: alcohol allowed me to feel it all it allowed me to sit there and go over, it was almost like a therapy for me, mm. go over all these dark parts of myself that I could face and I had the courage to face when I was under the influence. Mm. And, you know, as the cracks started to show, I started to deteriorate my as a person in all avenues, not just externally, not just was I starting to be late for work, then I was missing work, then... I didn't want to go to work and those mood swings on a Monday and then looking forward to the weekend and all those, that pattern of, you know, that cycle of destruction, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, But it was more who I was becoming. I, I was becoming a person that was unreliable. I was becoming a person that people didn't want to be around anymore. I was becoming that person at the party that wanted to bring out all these feelings and all these serious talks about darkness and pain and Mm -hmm. and it it became too much and and I think when I started to realize that I was becoming someone I didn't like to look at in the mirror you know I think that's when it went into the stage of my drinking where you know I was very defensive about it oh, well, it's not me. I'm not the problem. You know, why is everyone detaching from me? You know, everyone does this. And I started to critic critique other people's drinking and I felt very, very alone towards the end. Um I'd sabotaged quite a few relationships with friends and I, I was just becoming a bitter, angry, resentful person. And And that was going into every avenue of my life and I couldn't separate the two you know, at one one stage and and especially during lockdown, you know, God, we all had this chance to drink
2: mm. and,
1: and, you know, be on the Zoom meetings. And if there's no video, you know, you can't see that I've just rolled out of bed. I've been drinking most of the night. And, you know, for, for the first two weeks of that, you know, I, I drank too much that, I then I went into this huge health phase of you know a lot of people who know that they have an underlying problem with alcohol we try to find a lot of different tools if you like of of how to how are we going to tell ourselves and convince ourselves that what we're doing is fine
2: Yeah, and,
1: you know I started going I lost a lot of the weight I did up my flat and and it was proof that I'm I'm, I don't need anyone, you know, I, I'm capable and I'm self-sufficient and, you know, all the, I was just lying to myself and it became, I, I wasn't facing who I was, even though I knew there was a problem, I was using all of these different things to tell myself I was great. And
2: yeah.
1: that's why it just continued and continued. And, you know, when I went back to work, it was almost like, well, I'm great now. I've lost all this weight, and I'm doing great. I ended up leaving the job and getting a tremendous pay increase at another job. And for me, these were just signs that I was capable and and great. I, I'd I'd mastered life, and and I was drinking less, you know, because you know, Jim had started playing a part of it. I you know the hangovers were maybe one a week but you know it got to the stage Terry where I I was convincing myself that alcohol only affected me when I was drunk or when I was hung over the next day but looking back those three or four days in between because I I wasn't an everyday drinker I'd probably drink twice a week Um, Mm -hmm. but on the weekends maybe that binge would just carry on Mm -hmm. all weekend and And it was those very strong emotions of I I didn't like myself basically. Mm. And, you know, in it carried on for about two years of just drinking alone and then dealing with the pain that I'd lost a lot of relationships. And, you know, here I was connection was one of the biggest important drivers for me in my life. And I didn't have that connection, those connections anymore. And there was a lot of guilt and kind of suffering from that. And I, it, it, when I stopped drinking, it was December or well, January this year. And in, in in the lead up to that, I had put on all the weight that I'd lost. I was literally finding it difficult to get off of the couch. Um, I wasn't working. I had lost my job, and it. It, it was just too much. It had gotten to a point where I couldn't lie anymore. And I knew something was so terribly wrong because I couldn't use external circumstances anymore. Like I've got a great job and I've got great friendship group. And I just felt so alone. And I thought I have to change, but I don't know how. And sober to me was boring. People that got, so- I, I mean, I only, re- I didn't even know the word sobriety. I, I referred to it as teetotal. Mm -hmm. And to me, the only people that were teetotal were these celebrities that I'd often Google and think, oh, they're boring. I can't believe that person doesn't drink. And and Mm -hmm. my mum had come over to visit me, who, who lives in South America, and she saw me and I think she took one look at me and said, what's happened to this girl that had just got a great job and you know was going to the gym and had her life in order like you're not that girl and it was such a hard thing to face because I think when it's someone close to home I really recognize that I'm not gonna go anywhere in my life I'm just gonna deteriorate and started to see that that my father that that man who had given up everything you know I couldn't believe he'd abandoned his family and I started to really realize that you know what he had learned to stop prioritizing I was starting to do that and I just didn't have a care for life I didn't have a really care for myself and and it was just very painful and I felt very alone and very stuck sorry um and you know my mum kept saying to me I think you need to uh, go to AA I think you need to stop your drinking Franny because you she calls me Franny and she said that you know you're such a creative girl like why don't you write anymore why don't you you know you're not the person that you're meant to be and and uh, God, when, when you realize, like, everyone's got their own journeys in it, and everyone has a rock bottom. But for me, it was just a culmination of realizing that alcohol had taken me so far to someone that I didn't want to be anymore. Mm. And I was desperate. So what I started to do, um, towards the end of the year was go to, Different, you know, event bright, I started going to all these different things that were going to help me on a self-discovery journey. And I hadn't, I'd minimized the drinking, but I I thought, let me help myself, let me get some motivation from somewhere, and then I can make the decision to stop. <laughs> So I started going to just different talks about happiness and and the brain and and, and different things that you God you have got so much access to, mm. and it started to change my mindset a little bit. But you know, on New Year's Eve that night, I um I had found this this thing called ACA, and it as far as I read it, it was a going to be some kind of mentor or psychologist talking at the front of a room and it it asked do you have a parent and uh, that has suffered from alcoholism or has alcohol affected you and you know be in a safe space, space safe space where you can talk about it and and relate and and really deal with the traumas that you've experienced and i i thought wow um god I'm going to go to this and it's new year's eve and I need to stop drinking for tomorrow, but maybe just for dry jan or something. And I went to that meeting and and ACA, for anyone that doesn't know, it's adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. And it's a fellowship associated with AA, but I didn't know that at the time. So I walked in and I was hungover and I felt awful and I almost missed the bus and there was a tube strike that day and I didn't want to go and I walked in and I saw recovery center and I instantly all those fears came and I thought I'm not going to go and I just thought I found myself walking up the stairs thinking just face your your demons like you're not going to change tomorrow unless you do something today so I went up and I saw these 12 steps on the wall and I thought I can't believe this, <laughs> this is, uh, I, this is not what I'd expected, and I happened to suffer tremendously from alcohol, so this was great, and, and I was just in a room of people that were talking about being at the hands of addiction from a parent or family member, and, and dysfunctional behaviour, and I couldn't believe it. it, it was, to this day, that's my therapy, going to that group is I couldn't believe the way that it unravels parts of who you become and things in parts of your life that affect you
2: Mm.
1: and the next day it was New Year's Day I I went home that night and I found something different and I said tomorrow I'm going to stop and I went to my first AA meeting and you know what I'll say about AA is I know it does not work for everyone um you know I'm 32 and and female and a lot of people have a preconception of Alcoholics Anonymous and and even that labeling but you know in desperation I went there and the moment I sat in that meeting Terry I cannot explain it I was so full of fear I thought I was having a panic attack Mm. Um, I sat there and when I heard people open their mouth and share their stories about alcohol I I something changed in me from that very moment and I knew that there is there's a safe space for people to talk about you know what they've done who they are you know their issues some people are at the stage of you know losing everything and some people just drink wine every night or the mummy wine culture that you speak about a lot in your podcast and I yeah, I, from that day, I said I'm not going to drink and I started listening to your podcast and um, I started thinking I have to do this. I, I'd recognise something I hadn't recognised before is that I, alcohol was destroying my life and I don't I have a powerlessness towards it mm. and... The support that I got and the connection I got from AA and when I started a blog on, on Instagram, once I had that, I, I was provided with the tools to really start my journey and see that it was possible, something I'd never thought was possible before. So um, yeah, that's how it started. I don't even know if I answered your question, but that's from that moment, there was the shift in in my narrative of alcohol doesn't work for me anymore.
0: Yeah.
1: And now it was just how am I gonna get through it? How am I gonna what am I gonna do now? Because I've made the decision. So which was the first step.
0: <laughs> yeah. And how has it changed your life? Oh
1: God. Um in like I don't say this lightly, it has changed my life in every single way. Like I could have dreamed of um it god yeah it's just been such a transformative journey for me and it's been very hard and you know when you stop drinking you these emotions come back these these feelings of pain these feelings of new excitement the feelings of self-doubt you've got people that doubt you around you you're known as the drinker you've become an identity so it's time to formulate who you really are underneath it all and it it was so it was so eye-opening it was a new experience for me but it it allowed me to rediscover who I was and who I wanted to be and and put certain things in life in order Mm. um and it's just the biggest blessing it's it's allowed me to have better relationships with people it's changed and transformed what I want to do with my life and you know it's it's six months and and you know I know a lot of people do it at different stages of their journey but I was very much all or nothing I was like if I don't kind of transform every part of my life which means job which means you know focusing in on something then you know I I find it hard to stay focused and really delve into the sobriety so yeah just in answer to your question it's been it's I finally feel like I am becoming someone that I'm proud of
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: you know and letting go of guilt and and childhood and that pain that you know you, you mentioned like we do recover from a lot of the things that happen to us and you know, just being able to accept who I am without the drink has been a lovely journey and, and connecting with people who are like-minded and realising that you're not alone. its It's been just wonderful, like really, really wonderful.
0: <laughs> oh, and what about your mum? Because she's obviously been, you know, she's must have seen quite a big change. Have you seen her since you've or you've been on kind of video calls or anything like that like what does she think um god
1: she is just <laughs> it's funny because that's probably one of the relationships that improved the most um and she says to me like she knows that I always could have done it you know I think you know tapping into the creativity which was probably one of the best things about sobriety for me I mean, I I can't explain it, but if there's anyone listening that writes or that, you know, that's their therapy or that's their way of being cathartic, it's when I stopped the drinking, it it brought me back to writing poetry and and starting to write a book. And that was probably one of my mum's biggest dreams for me. And and just her being my mum, knowing that that's what my passion was and to think I'd stop doing it for 15 years because um, I just got caught up in life and drinking and not focusing thinking life was colorful with other parts of mm. um existing and she I think she just feels very at ease now and mm. and it's interesting it's funny to say that you know I feel that she's in a place of peace and we don't realize what we do to other people especially our parents or our kids and you know, for them to be able to trust and have faith in the person that maybe they've lost faith in.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: so she's really proud. And, you know, I did it for myself. I, I didn't do it for anyone, but to to see the way that relationships have improved because of that, it's just, yeah, it's, it's special.
0: <laughs> it is special. And I always, this, I always find this blows my mind that you can just stop, drinking just put the drink down and that's it and then you can <laughs> literally just change your life you know whether you're drinking in the grey or in the black and what I mean by that is you know dark grey for the grey area drinker you know you're drinking very heavily or if you identify as an alcoholic or if you're just drinking a glass every night but feeling a bit groggy and a bit like there are kind of chains around your neck you know you can't cope without it just by stopping drinking and spending that time that you have spent facing the demons and, and facing the path without any mind altering substances, you know, you've got to do it um, on your own, in yourself. Uh, but there's so much growth and reward in that journey. And even the difficult parts bring growth. And reward there's a lesson in everything and i think when you start to adapt and see that you start to feel more confident and weirdly more comfortable with adversity and with difficulties because you realize that you can get through things and survive you realize that you can get through things and that things come and go even feelings come and go um and I just think that that's that's what it's all about. Alcohol for a lot of people is a coping mechanism for what whatever. Um, and just learning, taking your time, and holding your own hand, and learning whilst you're walking through that forest of self-discovery, <laughs> um, you know that that teaches you how to cope and builds that self-trust and self-confidence that you can face the world and tackle anything and when you can do that you're quite unbreakable and that feeling the, the thing that I love about it the most is um is that you realize that you don't need external validation anymore. and I think that's in a lot of our stories which is certainly a big part of mine I had grown up with these fears of abandonment and this underlying feeling that I wasn't good enough and that I had to impress everybody all the time, otherwise they would take their love away from me. And I chose the wrong relationships. And I went, you know, I was was a people pleaser, I was all these things. Now I validate myself. And just that one thing on its own (laughs) is like the biggest game changer ever. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: I couldn't agree more. Um, Yeah, you said rewarding and growth and learning and just all those key words that just are part that some of the best, the best thing if you can do for yourself. Yes. It starts with you and, you know, the way that we're able to be good partners or mothers or daughters and you know it really does start with what we feel about ourselves and yeah. you know feeling like we can achieve things and and really working on that self-discovery it, it does open up a lot of doors um yeah. because you're comfortable with yourself and you're not hiding anymore um it's see, so
0: very it's so true. And I think, you know, what. Like, if I went back from in my life a few years ago, or five years ago, people used to say you have to love yourself first before you can love everyone else. And I used to think, God, that's just, you know, that's just a line from a book. It sounds good. Right. But what does that really mean? I didn't really know what that meant. And that's another thing that you can shame yourself for. Because it's like, well, how, well, I don't really know how to love myself. How do I just start loving myself? Can I go to the Love Myself shop and just buy it? Because I'll just pay the money and I'll buy it. You know, I just didn't. I heard that line being thrown around and I didn't really understand what it meant. I realized now that for me to love myself, I just had to stop drinking. Yeah. Stopping drinking took me on that journey of, understanding who I was, getting Mm. comfortable with who I was, accepting who I was, appreciating who I am and liking who I am and having better boundaries and using my voice when I need to and not being afraid anymore. And, you know, standing up for myself and for what's right. And all of those things feed into this Lo- loving yourself kind of hub if you like and that's where it all made sense for me now I really understand what it means I love myself so much now <laughs> that you know I and I think that does make me a better partner and a better parent and, and a better friend it, it does because mm-hmm. I'm not I don't feel overly needy like I don't need my husband to give me validation for example or all my kids you know and so it's just it is such a different place i think to be um but yeah that's that that's just for anyone who's listening to this and it's just like what does it mean to love yourself because don't worry that you don't know what that means right now because i didn't really know what that really meant really yeah. i wouldn't be able to give a step by step by step instructions of how to do that 5 years ago or 10 years ago but you know now i would just say well hey why don't you just quit drinking, <laughs> which seems like a big thing, but that is absolutely the path to gaining a lot of that self love um so yeah, wow, so it's been such an interesting conversation <laughs> it's, it's been brilliant. What three tips would you give somebody um if they were looking to stop drinking or you know who might already not be drinking but and for them to stay successfully sober? What would you advise?
1: Okay. okay. So firstly, I'd say your environment. Um, it's so key in kind of understanding ourselves and, and even maintaining the temptations. Um, I definitely advise to, you, you're, you can't be around people who are all drinking in the initial stages and being down the pub if you're trying to stay sober. So I definitely say to, try and find strength in that solitude just in the beginning or connect with the sober community um and use that as a tool to really help you on your journey mm. um to i'd say god it, it's changing that narrative in your head and and really doing that work yourself like whether it's I did journaling and that really helped to identify does alcohol help me is alcohol helping my life and I had to write down all the ways and all the things that had happened to me that showed me that it wasn't working anymore and You know, that helped me to shift that narrative that stopped romanticizing the alcohol, Mm -hmm. that stopped thinking, oh, it's Thursday, I'm at home. I know I'm meant to be sober, but I really want that glass of wine. I really want to run to the shop and get a bottle. I had to really stop that thought as it came in and, and play around with it, dissect it and think, what is going to happen if I get that bottle of wine, am i going to have that nice you know evening of being calm and winding down and mm. or am i go is it going to end how it always ended and i think just having that very that self awareness and writing it down helped me to shift that narrative and mm. and i definitely recommend that like to just analyze that relationship you know really get to the core of of why you drink and, and does it help you and, and do you want to anymore um and number three uh say just believe in yourself the, the self-doubt uh it can be so crippling and it's easier said than done as as you mentioned the self-love and you know we're all can have that minute of self-doubt that comes in but you know it's believing that well you know I used to look at people that had three months or one month and think oh my god one month sober I'll never be able to do that Uh, and it's so crazy that I've done six months because I was that person and six months was even out of the question you know and you know I'd say with this whole self-belief thing is just just be kinder to yourself that we all have pasts and shame and guilt and childhoods but you know it doesn't mean that we can't grow and learn and just be be kind to yourself with you know believing that you can try and do things that are going to try help instill a little bit of self-belief or achievement in you even if it's one day that you've stayed sober one Thursday night which was wine night that is such an achievement and if you hold on to that instead of the memory of all the failures and all the failed attempts mm. you start somewhere before you know it you've wrapped up 10 sober Thursdays and you know you start seeing sobriety and not as something else but something you can achieve so I'd say that's really important in, in self-belief
0: and and yeah I think I've given
1: three <laughs> maybe yeah. more.
0: Yeah I I think self-belief is underrated. It definitely carried me 80% of the way. Oh. <laughs> you know it, I think so just believing that I could do it, you know, and challenging myself if I ever felt like it, well, you know, having that kind of belief system that I I will do this, even though it will be difficult. You know, why is this not available to me? Of course it's available to me. This is available to everybody. And so it's kind of trying to challenge, like you say, challenge, also challenging those beliefs as well, that I can't do it or I keep failing and trying to reframe those and thinking, what would I need to think to be successful? Yeah, How do I need to approach Achieving this and breaking it down so it's bite sized I think sometimes we go into sobriety thinking, right, that's it forever. Yeah, <laughs> but you know that's overwhelming for anything in life that we're yeah. trying to commit to. We don't commit to anything forever. Yeah. really yeah. Well, maybe maybe marriage and yes. you know, things like that. But you know, go into it, don't we, thinking that? But but, but certainly we don't start running thinking I'm going to do this forever. Uh, you just you just want to run every week, you know, and it's the same yeah. with alcohol. it's just making it more manageable for yourself, isn't it? but yeah, having belief and and you know challenging the beliefs that you have are, are really, really good tips um so if you're open to us following your journey, where can we find you um okay, so I actually missed that out when you asked the
1: the three top things, but I'd say the connection yeah. And- you know that the online support is so important um there's a huge community sober community on instagram and i'm not sure about facebook but just connect with people that have that same like-minded goal um, and see that you're not alone in it um so i'm on instagram and i'm the sober extrovert um and yeah like i just post about my my story and my journey and and hopefully it inspires others the way that I'm inspired by so many people on, on social media.
0: Oh, Fran, I'm sure it will be definitely inspiring. Your story has been inspiring today. Thank you so much for your openness and your honesty. And, yeah, thank you for being brave and just sharing it all. I think this is what it's all about. It Somebody sharing their story and then other people relating to it just takes away lot of shame for people and there's just so much healing I think in hearing parts of other people's stories that are mirroring our own that we just think is only us you know it's not there's so many people going through the same things feeling the same shame um feeling fed up feeling like they can't do it you know there's all of that so I I'm um, so grateful for you coming on today and for sharing your story. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody else. So until next time, bye. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're interested in being a guest, please contact me directly on Instagram by sending a message to at mum. You can also find helpful tools and resources on my website, sassysobermum.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to spread the love, please like, share and rate the podcast. I really look forward to next time. See you then.